Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Randy Franz as he shares this week's message. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Joshua chapter 1. I know many of you thought, hey, I thought we were done with Joshua. We were until I, bro- I, we, uh, t- I took a break and realized I have one more message in Joshua that I want to share. The believer's duty. This is more a supplemental than an actual exposition of Joshua. Before we return to our journey in Luke's gospel, I want to take a moment to consider what the believer's duty, the Christian's duty is. As we've seen in our study of the Old Testament, is that Israel serves as an example to us in how to live and how to worship God. And so as we look through Joshua, we see that it's more than just an ancient text, an ancient story of just history and military campaigns and strategies, but it also tells us something about how you and I are to live. And as you turn to Joshua chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 6. As Joshua is preparing to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan to the promised land. And again, I know some of this is going to be a familiar and a repeat, but that's okay. As you come here, the Lord has promised him that no man shall be able to stand against Joshua and Israel all of his life, all the days of his life. And God promises, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you and I will not leave you nor forsake you. But as we come to verse 6, we see with that promise in mind, never to leave, never to forsake you, Yahweh then commands Joshua in verse 6, it's also here on the monitor if you need it, is to be strong and courageous. For this cause shall people, for, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. He goes on to command that the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be able to do carefully according to all that is written in For then you will make your way prosperous, then you shall have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you for these words given to Joshua and to Israel. But we also recognize that this verse was also written by Apostle Paul to us, applied to us. And Lord, help us to recognize that we are to be strong and courageous, knowing that the Father will never forsake us. We thank you for that promise. Courage us this morning. Let us listen with attentive ears and attentive hearts, ready to receive with joy and gladness your word. And Father, may your spirit have free reign, and we may we respond in kind. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's important for us to understand, again, the background of this promise and the command. So this is going to be a little bit uh, of a reminder for you of what we studied over the summer. After 400 years of slavery under Egypt, God has miraculously delivered his chosen children from Pharaoh. And after 40 years of wandering in the desert, mumbling and complaining during most of those years, God is finally bringing the 12 tribes of Israel into the land that was promised them. 
We must remember that the men and women about to enter into this land were children of slaves who had been known nothing but constant wandering and wondering about their future. They were not trained battle-hardened warriors. However, they were no stranger to attacks, fear, and living in rough terrain. But now for the very first time, they were about to enter into a land that was hostile, a land that would not willingly give up to Israel's claims to the cities, the farms, and the villages that they had not built, that they had not farmed, and nor had they had ever tended. Not only that, the inhabitants would be hostile to the Hebrews' way of life and the way of worship. So God is fortifying Joshua and the people to be men and women of good courage, especially as they prepare to live in a land and a world that is hostile to their, to their faith and way of life. Does this not sound familiar to you and I? And interesting enough, this parallels the Christian life that you and I are living today. Uh, we can see this very clearly, especially with the Texas abortion law coming into uh, play this past week. The attacks against what they say is a Christian nationalism or uh, white evangelical uh, uh, nationalism. It's, it's becoming a, a cuss word, a byword. We're becoming a, a, a people who are, who are looked on as prejudiced and biased. Now, I want to give you several things to consider as we challenge and encourage and maybe even rebuke us in our time this morning. I'm going to look at four phrases. For those of you who like to take notes, we're going to look at four phrases that's going to bring a sentence that you and I should commit to. So the first two words are take courage. You and I are to take courage. Please turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We'll be in there for just a few passages. And in 1 Peter 2.9, this passage, the Apostle Peter is addressing those elect exiles, those children of God that have been living in Asia Minor and extension Christians today. These were people who had been scattered from Rome because of persecution. But he's also speaking to you and I today. In verse 9 of 1 Peter, it's at the end of the New Testament, Peter reminds them of their identity in Christ. And you and I need to be reminded of this as well. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may reclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If anyone here is, is wondering about your identity, if you are in Christ, you are one of God's children. Amen? You have been moved from the darkness into the light. We have received mercy. We are vessels of God's honor. But as we move to verse 11, Peter gives them a command. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now he's speaking because he knows that our citizenship isn't here on earth, but is where? In heaven. That's why he says, seek those things. Yes, we, we live in this world, but we have to remember this world is not our home. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Very simple. 
Abstain from the passions, the desires, the motivation, the pull that your passions of the flesh have for you, which wage war against your soul. See, I think many Christians do not understand that there is a war going on. We, we ignore the war that's within us. He goes on and says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's a practical reason why you and I are to flee passions and, and, and trust and, 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 and be uh, like God. It's because it's going to be a great testimony to him. In verse 15, Peter then shares that practical purpose. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You and I need to realize that we live in a world of ignoramuses. Now, I know that can come across harsh. So let me say ignoramus in the biblical standard. And that anyone who denies that there is God is a fool in his heart. Scripture says they are ignorant. They are blinded. Does that mean that we treat them? No, in that such a way. No, we, we have to realize that they are blinded. And we need to be encouraged to share with them the light of God. Peter is, Peter is encouraging these elect exiles to courageously live out the truths of their Christian identity in a world that is hostile, not only to their way of life, but also to the faith, to that which they believe. The Apostle Paul commands the worldly Corinthian church that was struggling with this. They would seem very familiar to, to us or to, to, to them of our Orange County way of life. He tells them to be watchful, to stand firm in the truth and act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. We have to be courageous. This call to courageously live out our Christian identity in a world that is hostile to our faith and way of life exists for us as well as today. It is going to take courage to stand up for our faith. You know, this morning as I was just praying, before getting up and starting my day, my thoughts were just going, is you and I have the pleasure of meeting here today. And it's unfortunate, I know I'm speaking to the choir, but it's unfortunate that many have taken a holiday and are not here with us, mainly because maybe it is just a holiday. Some now may have work and things of that nature that they're not able to get out, so, so we understand that. Someone came by and visited this moose week and was hoping she was going to visit. She said she was, but when I told her the size of our church, she was shocked. Well, I'm used to bigger churches. Do you have this program? Do you have that program? No, we don't. All I can guarantee is if you come to this church that we're going to preach the Bible and we're going to love you and encourage you. Most people want something different. But I'm reminded of those Christians whose Sunday has already passed in Afghanistan, who were abandoned. Not sure how many Christians will be there by the end of the month as they're being hunted down and shot. Many who wanted to escape, but then others who would say, no, I'm going to stay. May their blood be the seed, or be the, the, the blood water the seed of the gospel, and may it grow. We should be embarrassed, to be honest with you, and ashamed. How about China, where churches are underground as well? 
living courageous. We would say, well, we would, we would do the same thing in those countries. I'm not sure. We can't be here if Disney's open. Now I know I'm probably being kind of harsh. But I just sometimes need to be honest. There's many reasons why we don't come to church. We come to church if our schedule is clear. Nonetheless, living our faith out in front of our friends and our family and the public. So you and I need to take courage. That's the first phrase. Let me give the next three words. You and I need to take courage in fighting sin. Now, we have to realize that there are many reasons why we need to understand this. Joshua is warning the Hebrew children of following after the conduct of the evil inhabitants of the land. Hey, we need to keep the covenant of God. Do not intermix with these people. We saw that several weeks ago. Peter, in his first letter that we were just reading, is mentioning the hostilities of the Christians that Christians will face from those outside the church. And we're very much facing that today. But we are also facing the second one, because in, in the second letter, Peter's second letter, Peter mentions the dangers of the false teachers inside the church. And that is happening quite a bit. No church is immune from false teachers and prophets. But you and I are going to face those same dangers from in and out around. But I believe the most challenging and the most important danger that you and I face is not the outside world and maybe not even the false teachers in here, but it's that of faith fighting the sin that is within us. You see, that is where the battle is lost and won before we ever face any hostility from external. It's all the internal. James warns, you see it here on the monitor, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But as we see this, but each person is tempted when? He is lured and enticed by what? His own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth the death. What's that old phrase, I have seen the enemy, and it is me? It's tragic that too many who profess Christian or profess Christ have made friends with their sin rather than fighting against its wicked design against them. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.14 that as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. How many times do we lose our spiritual intellect and begin to live in our fleshly ignorance? Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 6 if you would. As those that have passed, or should I say turn in your phones to Romans 6 or your your tablet, whatever you might have. As those that have passed from darkness into life, we now should desire the things of God rather than the pleasures of the world. And we have the ability now through God's grace, through the Holy Spirit, to fight sin, to say no. First, Paul tells us that we were dead to sin, uh, but now we're alive to God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Read this along with me silently as the Apostle Paul writes, We know that our old self was crucified with him 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That old way of thinking, of desiring and choosing. That we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has been died has been set free from sin. So now look at verse 11. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We think of cancel culture where someone is dead to someone else. You and I need to cancel culture sin and the passions of our flesh. Look at verse 13 or verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness and present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Verse 14, for sin will have no longer dominion over you. He then tells them that they are now slaves to righteousness. In verse 22, he says, you have been set free from sin. And now that we have been set free, we now need to recognize that we need to take courage in fighting sin. It no longer has hold of us. It is no longer our master. Yet many of us, we find ourselves wondering why we aren't experiencing the joy of our salvation, the victory of Christ. Why are we struggling in our marriages? Why are we struggling with our kids? Why are we finding no pleasure in our occupation and in life? Like the ancient Hebrew children, we find ourselves in the midst of God's deliverance and redemption. Yet we're unsatisfied, surprised by the opposition against us and tempted to follow after other gods. I believe the problem is, is that we made the same mistake as those 12 tribes of Israel. We have lost our courage to fight the enemy. Instead, we have made tribute of them. Tribute is a word that I find in the old King James. As you might recall here, as we look here very quickly at Joshua and Exodus and some of the things that are going on there, excuse me, in Joshua... First, we see that Joshua and them, they were to destroy all the inhabitants. They were to do battle, not make any uh, treaties and peace with them. Yet they're deceived first by the Gibeonites, remember? And then we see that they lost their courage and could not drive them out in Joshua chapter 16, verse 10. First, they were deceived and then they were disobedient. In Joshua 16, 10, in the King James, it says, And they drave, drave not out the Canaanites that dwelled in Gazar, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and served under tribute. In 17, 13, it says, It came to pass when the children of Israel were wax and strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute. This is when they were strong enough to defeat him, but instead of defeating him, they put him to tribute. Tribute is an old world, a word, which means that when you take an enemy... Instead of defeating him, you, you kind of imprison them and you put them to your use. For Israel, they say, well, they're gonna, we're going to make them cutters of wood. We're going to make them our, our slaves. They're going to do our dirty work for us. We're not going to defeat them. We won't maybe give them citizenship. We'll just make them work for us. They can do the things that we don't want to do. But you and I know what happens there, right? As most of us are aware, allowing those enemies 
to live and work among them eventually led to Israel's defeat, their dispersion from the land and decades of captivity as they eventually adopted the beliefs and practices of the enemies of God. So why did Israel fall for this? Well, the same reason you and I do not completely fight to eradicate the sin in our own life. We believe that we can make sin work for us. We too have become deceived and disobedient in our life. We think that we can control our evil desires and passions. We hide them away from everyone, even our spouses, our friends, our closest people, until we need them to cope. When the pressure comes, when things become too difficult, then we go to our secret sin and we allow that sin then to comfort us, to please us, only to recognize how bitter it is. We believe that those sins serve us in our needs. We do not feel that God is faithful when we do this. We do not feel that God is faithful when we do so. In reality, you and and I need to recognize this is what sin is. Sin is when we do not trust God's decision on what is right and wrong in our life. Sin is when we do not trust that God will be faithful to his promises. Sin is when we do not trust that God's promises will satisfy us. Each and every one of us deal with this each and every moment in our life. However, we do this knowing full well how sin affects us. We understand its ugliness. Pastor Matt Smethurst notes this, that sin always looks better through the windshield than in the rearview window. Mirror. We understand as soon as we sin, the guilt and shame comes. And I think there are many here that are struggling with that type of attitude and dilemma this morning. In some ways, you are not satisfied with the promises of God. You are looking for shortcuts, which Satan promises you. You're not satisfied with God's good gifts. That's all Satan does. That's what pornography is. Here's a shortcut to what God's blessing is. This is what a romance novel can be. It's a shortcut to what God may be offering you. These things and much more. But you must be challenged and rebuked to take courage to continue to fight sin. Do not make friends with the enemies of God. Do not be deceived. Scripture warns God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. One famous quote remarks that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you far longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And many of you can give personal testimony to that truth. You've seen the destruction that sin leaves in its wake. We must take courage in fighting sin. We need to see what sin truly is. Pastor Tim McKellar writes, you'll see it here on the monitor. He says, you need to understand that sin is the suicidal action of the human soul against itself. What strong words that brings up a word picture that all of us should just repel against. Sinful actions create a dark reality in your life that stays with you. Many of you are struggling with so many things because of unconfessed sin. 
He goes on to say that sin creates bad habits. It creates distorted affections. These things control you and you start to lose control of yourself. You're surrendering to something that wants to kill you. We're talking about our government today. They don't recognize that there are enemies that want us dead. They don't want a peace treaty. They don't want a compromise. They want our total destruction. You and I need to bring that into the spiritual realm. John Owen warned, be killing sin or what? Sin will be killing you. Some of you continually to nail the nails into your own casket. Believer, take courage. Continue to fight in your sin. You might even be here this morning excited to be here, enjoying the worship, looking forward to the fellowship, but you're also burdened by the guilt and shame that comes when we fail to take courage in fighting our sin. It's hard to be constantly diligent against the enemy, is it not? It is consuming. It is exhausting. It is easy to join our families and friends and co-workers in enjoying activities and entertainment that as Christians, you and I should not be participating in, that we should be standing up against. However, at the end of the night, as we gaze into the mirror, you've heard me give this illustration before, we find ourselves avoiding eye contact because our conscience rises up against us. Like dogs, we have returned to the vomit not only once, but multiple times. I'm here to share with you that I know exactly what your guilt going through. Most of us have faced the dark night of the soul when our minds cry out against us, guilty, guilty, guilty. How could you? What are you doing? What are you thinking? I hope no one finds out. Lord, forgive me. Yet that is when the blessed words of the gospel come with its many blessings to bring healing to the wounded, battle-scarred heart of the warrior that seeks and prays for more courage. Colossians chapter 2, you probably have it underlined. I've asked you to do it many times or have it highlighted in your tablet or your phone. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 is one of my most favorite passages. I wish I would have been aware of this passage when I was younger. Read it probably many times, but never understood its power until several years ago. Paul gives us the basis for our courage in fighting sin. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Amen. We're going to celebrate that truth in a moment with our communion. He says, how has he forgiven us all our trespasses? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. You may be shame, saying guilt, shame. But here's what I'm saying. God is saying, not guilty, child of mine. He is saying, forgiven. He is saying, it is finished. It is paid in debt. All of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing in them. 
Satan has no control. Even in your courage, if you lack and you fall into sin, Satan has no power over the believer. We're to confess and repent of that sin. He says he's faithful to forgive us that sin and to embrace that wounded soldier. The gospel is the salve that goes over the wounds of the Christian who fails from time to time in taking courage and fighting sin. And once we have done that, we are to take up our arms and once again go back to the war. Preacher extraordinaire, Steve Lawson, I always recommend. Follow him on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, Go to his website, One Passion Ministries. Listen to him to preach. Now don't compare me to him, but he is wonderful. He tweeted just this past week, the sin lures us. Sin entices us. Sin deceives us. It entraps us. It devastates us. He goes on to say, but for Christ, sin would damn us. Take courage, Christian, in fighting sin. So now let's move on to how you and I can fight that good fight. So as we continue, take courage was the first two words. The next word of the sentence is in fighting sin. You got that. The next one is by pursuing holiness. You and I are to take courage in fighting sin by pursuing holiness. After leaving Egypt and before entering the promised land, Yahweh had promised the Israelites in Leviticus 19, speak to all the congregation and say, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. But those words were not just for Israel, but also for you and I, the, the exiles, the sojourners here, the children of God today. For in 1 Peter 1, 13, he says, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that has brought you to the revelation of Christ. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but you are called to be holy as I am holy. So you and I can fight sin is by pursuing holiness. It's not enough to just be defensive in our strategy against sin, but we need to be offensive. He tells us many times to flee after these things, but pursue. So we do both. And I believe as you and I pursue, the things of the world become dimmer and dimmer in our eyes. Knowing that they'll be living in a world that is hostile to their faith and way of life. God does not give the Israelites, nor you and I, an out. Does not tell them to assimilate to the behavior of the world, to just blend in, but to live in direct opposition to the way the world lives. He knows what he is demanding, what he is calling of you and I. Hence why he says you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The Apostle John had much the same thing to say to the children of God when he warns, as you see here in in 1 John, here on the monitor, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You and I have some reckoning to do. 
The way that we fight sin is pursue holiness, to follow the commands of scripture, to seek God's will, to imitate Christ. Granted, this is not easy to do. It is going to be difficult. It will cause a fallout among those who we love and care for. Peter warned, and we have seen it happen, that following after Christ, that pursuing holiness is going to put us in direct opposition to the world. A world, by the way, that will not look kindly upon Scripture exposing their sin. J. Garrett Keller, a noted theologian and professor and writer, notes this as you see it on your screen. He types or writes, Purity is an orientation of the faith-filled heart that flees the pleasure of sin and pursues the pleasure of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Husband, you need to pursue the bride of your youth. Spouse, you need to pursue and quit running away from the man that God has given you. Father and son, daughter, mother need to come and recognize that we need to pursue holiness in all of our relationships, in all that we do. This is going to take courage in pursuing holiness. Courage because pursuing holiness will cost you much. It may cost you removal from the seat, of ta- from the seat at the table of public conversation. It may take cost you ridicule from your friends and family and co-workers who will mock your lifestyle and your choices. It may cost you rejection from the community who do not understand the reason of the hope within you. It may cost you repercussions from those that will want to make you pay for your beliefs as they try to cost you your job and cancel you out of culture. Now, this is extra. And I may be going on a limb here. But it seems to me that many people are willing to do that to be masked or unmasked, vaccinated or unvaccinated. And I'm not going to, that is a matter of conscience. But there are people taking stance on either or, and they're willing to lose family on that case. But when it comes to pursuing holiness, uh uh-uh. So where are your priorities? You and I need to pursue holiness in what we watch, in what we entertain ourselves, in what we say, think, and dwell on, in how we respond to others. Paul gives us great advice on how to do this in Philippians 4. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We're ready to take courage and fight things when it comes to political, culture, and social, but not when it comes to the things of Christ. Let it not be so. Taking courage and fighting sin and pursuing holiness is a battle for the mind. Scripture also calls us to flee from sexual immorality, to put to death what is earthly in you, and to put off the old self with the practices, to put on the new self, and whatever we do to do it to the glory of God. Whatever you're watching, whatever you're doing, however you're thinking, whatever your motivations, ask yourself, is this something that glorifies God and is for my good? Typically, all you ask is, is this for my good and will I get in trouble for it later? Hopefully, I just don't get caught. But does this glorify God? 
Remember that as Christians, we bring Christ into everything that we do. You're never alone. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. That means that when you walk through the doors of the bar, he's there. If you're walking into the marijuana joint place, he's walking there with you. He's there no matter what you're doing, what you're watching. Doesn't matter how alone and how dark it might be. God is there with you. Let me give you the last phrase for that sentence so we can finish this up. Is you and I need to take courage in fighting sin by pursuing holiness through loving God and loving others. Let me tell you, if you do those two commands, you will be pursuing holiness you will be ex- uh, fighting sin and you will be exhibiting courage. It all comes down to the two commands. Jesus was on to something there, wasn't he? I say that we must pursue holiness through loving God and others is because Leviticus 19.18. Yahweh instructed the children of Israel to love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, we, knew that, we know that Jesus instructed us in the same way with the great commandment. Paul goes on to say, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I believe that it is necessary for you and I to fight sin and to pursue holiness. But without a love for God, you and I would never desire to pursue the things of God. And without a love for others, we would never desire to fight sin because typically our sin involves other people in some form or fashion. We love God by obeying his words, by seeking first his kingdom and his uh, his righteousness. We love our neighbors when we seek their happiness, their welfare, their success, their holiness, as much as you seek it for yourself. You and I understand that there is no such thing as a victimless crime nor a victimless sin. I don't care how libertarian you might be. There is no such thing. We may think that our sin is just between ourselves. It's between us and our phone, our, 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 our tablet, or, or between me and, and just a few friends. The truth is others are affected by our disobedience. You and I recognize that alcoholism can can have an effect on a family. Sexual abuse. All sorts of things many times are passed from one generation to generation and our sin is not uh, 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 imputed on someone, but it does affect our children, does it not? It affects our workplace. It affects those around us. If we're those that disobey God. You see, we love our neighbors by living with sexual integrity. We don't look at other people as an object for our satisfaction. We love our neighbors by caring for the poor, by helping those that are in need, by making sure that our needs are met. We love our neighbors by seeking justice. Pastor John MacArthur notes that God's grace transforms the Christian's whole life not merely his religious beliefs. And I think that's the struggle that we have. 
is that we see that, that, that we believe these things, but yet we don't live them out. And I'm here to tell you that personally, my family is feeling this very much as we have our family back home in a, our home church that is now in total disruption because overlooking sin in their church that has caused a pastor of 40 years to resign in disgrace, to see them being pushed and pulled into both civil and criminal courts. I don't know how, what's going to happen there. But we need to recognize we need to take courage in fighting sin by pursuing holiness, by loving God and loving others. The problem is, is too many professing Christians will sit here and agree with what I've said and agree with God's word, what's written, yet even with this public teaching of the word, but they'll still fail to pursue holiness by loving their neighbor. Many of us will go this week committing adultery, committing theft, committing murder, according to our brother's message, because the motivation of our heart. Anyone who is angry at a brother said has murdered him in his heart, has Jesus not said? We have coveted what is not ours. We daydream about what we do not have. We look for other ways, unrighteous ways to provide for our family that is not by God. We look for entertainment or coping devices that are outside God's command. We still seek to satisfy ourselves and spy the cost to ourselves and others. Now, I know this has been pretty tough. Right in your face. But in the Old Testament, we see the warnings that the Israelites would eventually fail to heed. You and I must not approve of the sin and the wickedness of the world. And I've been convicted of this even of my own self over these last year and a half. So much that I just finally said, I just cannot watch this any longer. Do not say, now here, I'm going to really get on you. Do not say that you're upset when a TV show shows a, a homosexual or a lesbian scene if you've been okay with unmarried people portrayed in the movie and the TV show sleeping and living together as well. What right do you have to say? Now, I believe one is worse than the other, but it's still sin. We watch things that, uh, that, that, uh, that we not only approve of, but we are encouraged and entertained by. For me, it's been violence. America, that's what we're more interested in, right? And there's been times I think, wait, I'm watching stuff that really is much more than fantastical. We need to be careful. Except the false promises of Satan is what they did, who seeks to destroy and paralyze the believer. Let us recognize that. These are false promises. We adopt the practices of the world. We adopt their speech. It's so sad that many pastors and churches are doing this now. There is no difference. Someone asked you at the end of this tough message on a holiday weekend, would you join me in being men and women of courage and fulfilling the believer's duty? And Ben, would you just put that one back up there one more time? 
to take courage in fighting sin by pursuing holiness through loving God and loving others. That was Israel's duty and they failed. That's our duty as well. But I'll tell you what, Christ comes and enables us to do so. For one day, his kingdom will come and it will be on this earth as it is in heaven and all things will be as they should. Take courage in fighting and pursuing holiness through loving God and loving others. I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, as I believe Landon has our pastor's prayer, if you just come up, I want to take you to take a moment to pause and consider what we've said today. I'm going to ask you to pray and then respond. You see, God wants you to understand that there is more to the Christian life than receiving forgiveness of sin and just a new eternal home. You and I are called to a life of holiness, to pursue a life of holiness. God wants you to believe that if you have repented from your sin and trust in Christ, that God has given you everything that you need to live a life of holiness. God wants you to desire to live a life that's pleasing to him. More than pleasing yourself. He wants you to desire to become more like Jesus. God wants you to put off your old self, forsaking those old habits and desires. He wants you to refocus your dreams, your aspirations, and your hopes on his promises and on his goodness and to put on a new self by adding to your faith the fruits of the Spirit. And it's through this effort, God will bless us and make us into the image of his Son. Let us commit ourselves to supplement our faith and to grow in the grace and faith that God has called all of his children to do. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.